Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. Howdy, everybody. It's Jason here. Before we begin the show, I'd like to thank everybody for continuing to listen. We're always looking for ways to improve the podcast and find other listeners like you. And you can help us by filling out a brief survey at wondermedianetwork.com slash majority54 survey. That's wondermedianetwork.com slash majority54 survey. Thanks again for your support. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Ravi Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast that helps Americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority. We are very excited to have Nagin Farsad. Uh, she is a comedian and host of the podcast Fake the Nation, a comedy roundtable that covers news and culture and features the likes of Samantha Bee, Margaret Cho, Neil deGrasse Tyson, and even forgot about me. I'm going to be on there soon. She is also, I, that's like in the, it's in the copy of the bio. And I was like, wait, that's me. Also, I'll be on there soon. She is also author of the book, How to Make White People Laugh. And you can catch her as a regular on NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Nagin, welcome to Majority 54. Hello. Oh my God. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for having me in the future on your pod as well. I appreciate that. Well, Jason, you're a white person, so I'm expecting you to laugh a lot during this episode since we have an expert on the subject here. Because so. <laughs> yeah, what makes people laugh? Yeah, yeah. well, I, I promise. Ravi, you want to tell us about the news of the week? President Biden on Thursday announced that the government uh, is going to issue its strictest mandates yet for COVID-19 vaccinations with a combination of orders that will affect tens of millions of U.S. workers. And the executive order focuses on three main groups, federal employees, federal contractors, and most notably workers at companies with 100 or more employees. So uh, unvaccinated federal employees and contractors have to get the shot within 75 days or face a series of escalating consequences. But the biggest group that this is going to affect are people who work in businesses with more than 100 employees. And essentially what's happening with them is what we talked about a few weeks ago uh, with the NFL, which is either you have to be vaccinated or you have to undergo rigorous testing. And so we have a, a voicemail on this subject with a question from a listener. So let's go to that. Hi, Ravi and Jason. This is Ashley from Wentzville, Missouri. Um, I wanted to ask your thoughts on government vaccine mandates. Personally, I'm all for businesses and organizations mandating them, but I can't convince myself that this is a good thing for the government to do. Um, for the vaccine hesitant in my world, including my parents, it's pushing them absolutely in the wrong direction. It kind of solidifies their longstanding views about government overreach. So I'm just not sure that this is the right way to go about it. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Thank you. Bye. Nagin, have at it. 
I mean, it's such a complicated question, right? I mean, I can see, the, you know, what, why her parents would get to that point of like, now I'm really digging my heels in and this is government overreach. Um, that said, it's like, what a, what are we supposed to do though? You know, like someone has to step in and the peep and the, and the institution with the longest arms, is this the right way of phrasing it? The institution with the longest arms is the federal government, right? The federal government can have the biggest impact with mandates like this, because the fact of the matter is, you know, over 1500 people a day are still dying and they're dying in parts of the country where the vaccination rates are the lowest, right? So, um, and that, that might be in the county that their parents live in. Uh, so I feel like it's such a, it's such a tough question. And, and, and can I just say one more thing about the small business aspect of this? So businesses with employees over a hundred people have to get vaccinated, right? That's part of it. A friend of mine who has such a business of over a hundred people, just over a hundred, she got some panicked calls from one of her locations. It's like a beauty business from one of her locations um, in, you know, a, a county that has a low vaccination rate saying, you know, I'm afraid that a bunch of people are going to quit and basically almost asking, like, can you violate this federal mandate so that these people won't quit? And she was like, look, I, as a business owner, do not want to be put in the middle. You know, so I can also see from the point of view of a business owner of like, this sucks because now I have to like regulate people and things and I'm not a public health official. And why am I in the position of being a public health official? And so that also um, seems just really challenging. And she probably will have people quit. Um, and, and I think that's awful. And then on the other hand, I have another friend who's a business owner. Guys, I don't mean to brag, but I have a lot of business owner friends, apparently. <laughs> I have another friend who's a business owner who was waiting for this day because she wanted to mandate vaccines for the company, but didn't want to bear the brunt of the criticism from employees who were against that kind of mandate. So she was just like, I just want the federal government to do it so I don't have to do it. So I also see the business owner who's just relieved that the federal government has taken action and that she doesn't have to worry constantly about unvaccinated and vaccinated employees. So she was just always stressed out about that. So I, it's like, I can see this from like 12 different sides. I was waiting for you to be like, and also my cousin in Trinidad. <laughs> um, but but I, no, I think I think you're right that your friend, the, the second friend, who's saying like, I'm glad that this happened. So I, it, they're basically saying, so I don't, I can kind of blame it on this, right? Yeah. And and I think that's for Ashley and for anybody else out there. It depends on what your argument is. If your argument with people is about whether to get vaccinated then this is helpful because you don't have to defend it in that case. You could just be like, look, and this is a conversation Ravi and I have had with some people, which is, look, whether you like it or not, life is going to become a great deal more inconvenient if you are unvaccinated. That is the decision that the government's made. And so, you know, on the other side of it, where it's like just, and it sounds like what Ashley's having is a problem with, you know, keeping her parents from going off the deep end of this is government overreach. The other side of it, I think, is to think about what President Biden said when he announced this, which is, look, we've been patient. And I, I think that's the best thing you can say is like, look, they they clearly didn't want to do this. This is not what President Biden wanted to do. And I would lean on saying, like, it's clearly not popular. Look how mad you are about it. You know, I would say to somebody like, do you think this is what they wanted to do? But if they want to stop COVID, they've run out of options. I, that's sort of where I would go politically with it. Yeah, I think... One question folks should ask is, 
how many swing voters? I know that's crazy to even talk about swing voters right now. We're we're still very far away from the next presidential election, even pretty decently far away from the the midterms. But you know, just playing you know the the perpetual game of political punditry. Who? How many swing voters? Are there that are unvaccinated? Because the data here is very clear that this public as a whole supports these mandates pretty strongly. There was an Axios poll yesterday, but there's also a morning consult poll from August that both show strong public support for these kinds of mandates. So the public writ large and including any possible segment of the swing voters are strongly supportive of this. And and that's before it potentially gets worse. Like Jason, you've been talking about for a while, like what happens when this pandemic enters the realm of children, which is where we're heading right now. And some of the polling, including that morning council poll, shows that it's not just that people are supportive uh, of these mandates, but defying the conventional wisdom, which is that Republicans right now are the, they have the highest enthusiasm right now, is, is what I think most people have been pointing out over the past few months. Uh, they're the people who are most rapidly anti-Biden and most animated, which tends to happen into a midterm. Actually, the data shows that the people who are pro-mandate are actually more enthusiastic in their support for the mandates than the people who are opposed to them. Now, one big caveat is now that we own the policy, that could flip, right? Now, when you see people losing their jobs and people being fined and businesses uh, being punished for these mandates, the Republicans are agents of chaos here. So they're going to be doing rallies and they're going to try to lay that chaos at the foot of Biden and say, this is as Afghanistan was. Biden is the owner of chaos in this country. And that's the realm of politics I think we're going to be entering now. But also, you know, I don't know if this is moving at all for Ashley, um, for Ashley's parents and people like them. But you guys sent around a piece that I thought was really great about the ACLU and the ACLU basically pointed out that, you know, constitutionally speaking, a vaccine mandate is not at all a violation of civil liberties. You know, this kind of like freedom, bodily integrity, freedom argument that's being made on the right um, is not. A constitutional one, uh, because those rights aren't absolute. Uh, they because they don't include inflicting harm onto others, which is basically what happens when you're unvaccinated, get sick, and then spread the disease. You're inflicting harm onto others, um, and it's interesting because. I also think it be it would be really easy if there was just a couple of reasonable republicans out there double r's if you will reasonable republicans who could just say there is a super duper patriotic message in here that if that getting the vaccine is a patriotic duty it is an america first approach you know to keeping everybody alive and healthy and the economy growing um I, I wonder if like if pe- people on the ground like Ashley started talking about the patriotism of the vaccine, if that could be a thing. I don't know. Throwing out ideas. Well, I mean, to that point, people can Google like inoculations that were mandated by George Washington. Like, I mean, it's it's one of those things that started as a meme and then everybody was going, wait, is this real? And there was like, in, because it threatened the strength of the Continental Army, like George Washington was like, no, 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 you have to be inoculated against things because we're not going to have people dying of diseases out here. Yeah, like, smallpox was an actual thing at the beginning right. of the Republic. And they had to, they had mandate. Mandates are as old as the Constitution. I mean, so literally the, the 
you know, it's, it's, it's questionable the way we revere founding fathers. But if you buy into the whole, because frankly, if you're talking to somebody who's sounding like Ashley's parents, probably they are not like, you know, we really should cancel George Washington. That's probably not where they're coming from. <laughs> and so you could just lean into like, literally the founding fathers who founded this whole deal because they were breaking off from what they co considered, you know, overreached by government. We're like, yeah, but you gotta, you gotta get inoculated. <laughs> like you, <laughs> right, so. right. You know, our hopes for these reasonable Republicans that you're talking about certainly don't uh, seem to be borne out in governor's mansions around the country. Some of the, some of our leaders across the country really push back on this. I think even more aggressively than we've seen in the past. So, Governor Henry McMaster of South Carolina said. Rest assured, we'll fight them to the gates of hell to protect the liberty and livelihood of every South Carolinian. Governor Kemp of Georgia said, I'll pursue every legal option available to stop this blatantly unlawful overreach. Uh, those are just two. I mean, you can Google us, find many more. Biden but also, Ravi, don't forget governor at large of Fox TV, Tucker Carlson's really salient <laughs> argument about Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's testicle size as being a <laughs> anti-vax argument uh, coming from a man who is himself vaccinated. So I thought that one was really fun. So I couldn't bring myself to to watch this. So can you unpack that moment before we get to the <laughs> before we get to the governors? Uh, um, so explain this to me as somebody I, like uh, Jason will tell you, I don't I go maybe once a month or two on on Twitter. So I, I kind of miss this. I've only picked you're a it healthy up in person. the ether. <laughs> yeah, I've only picked it up on uh, in the ether. Can you explain it to me? And I probably our audience, uh, there's some people probably in my shoes who who don't understand the role of Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's testicles in our national debate yet. So can one of you explain to me what's going on here? First of all, <laughs> before you explain it, I'll just say I'm glad that you brought it up because it makes the comment I made about five minutes ago make, make way more, more sense. Make more sense, yes. So, yeah. My, yeah. yeah, a cousin in Trinidad was going to be my yeah. fourth example about mandates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, go for it. I mean, I look at. I just want to say for the record that I am. I'm. I don't. You know, I don't typically watch Tucker Carlson. And that when I saw his name trending on Twitter, I very begrudgingly clicked on it. Um, read that he was that he spent minutes of his television show um, talking about Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend in, I, yeah, I think it was in Trinidad, who had swollen testicles as a result of getting the vaccine and using that as an argument for like, you know, not getting the vaccine or making your and own so decisions about the vaccine. so where did this come from? Like, why, why, it was why did a, that it even was get a Nicki Minaj tweet. Yeah, Nicki Minaj, Minaj was like, my cousin, yeah. Which is also- Oh, so she was like, hey, I have a cousin in in Wait, I'm gonna find it. And, who, I, yeah. and they have a friend it's, who it's has like, swollen yeah. testicles because of exactly. the vaccine. Exactly. I see. Two degrees separated from even Nicki Minaj herself, um, and then three degrees separated from Tucker Carlson. But she um, tweeted it. But which now I, I read, but yeah. she tweeted it, which was also irresponsible um, okay. and unfortunate. Can I, can I read? Can I read the tweet? Please. I mean, Grace may cut this, but okay. Nicki Minaj <laughs> says, "My cousin in Trinidad won't get the vaccine because his friend got it and became impotent. His testicles became swollen." Now we get to the interesting part that I think tells a, a deeper story. His friend was weeks away from getting married, and now the girl called off the wedding. And then it goes on, you know, pray on it and make your decision carefully and all that. 
But first of all, I feel like Nicki Minaj in the writing of that tweet was also pitching a romantic comedy. Uh, (laughs) So there's that aspect of it that I feel like Tucker Carlson missed in his analysis of the tweet. But it's like this kind of like anecdotal um, data that people, I I use data in quotes, like that people keep using uh, is just ridiculous. And um, and I mean, which is which is real rich coming from me because I talked about two of my friends anecdotally who have businesses. Um, <laughs> but but it's just like, I don't know. Dr. Dr. Nicki Minaj um, is just not someone I generally go to for medical advice. I kind of want to do a whole separate episode on why this caused somebody to call off a wedding. I yeah. mean, but anyway. <laughs> I don't want to be insensitive, but sounds like he he may be deflecting from his own behavior or dealing with a very serious medical emergency that has nothing to do with the COVID vaccine that he may want to check out. But I think it could be both of those things. But back to the governors. Uh, I think that's enough testicle talk for today. But the the governors, although we do have plenty of time left in this podcast. I know. I have have like another 10 to 15 minutes on testicle material. So just yeah, and we're going to do quarantine corner. So feel (laughs) free to bring up whatever you want. But uh, so we have governors pushing back and Biden said, and I kind of like this, this kind of bravado coming from Biden. He said, have at it uh, on the legal challenges. What can we expect here? Yeah, Biden was was taking a nice, tough position like of uh, go for it. And I think we see from the ACLU, again, I am what they call a dirtbag comedian. So do I understand the legality of anything? Probably not. But um, I would say just just reading that ACLU piece that there isn't very many, there isn't much constitutional grounds. They listed a bunch of cases and just fun, just nerdy legal stuff in that op-ed piece that I highly recommend people look at, you know, that basically made it seem like there aren't very many legal grounds for opposing this vaccine. Yeah, I think I think the lawsuits are they're just political statements. They're press releases filed with courts, right? I mean, like here in Missouri, uh, Eric Schmidt is the attorney general. He, he's running for the U.S. Senate. He's in a primary. So, I mean, just to demonstrate how political this is and, and not how it's based in law, he, I believe, has sued like China. I think he's all one of these people who's like, I'm suing China over COVID, right? Well, okay, fine. He's also sued the cities uh, in our state who have mandated masks. And he's like, you can't mandate masks. So it's like, China's at fault. And I'm suing him for it. But also I'm suing the cities, which, by the way, like if you if you thought your lawsuit against China had uh, any merit, you would really be screwing yourself over by suing on the masks because there's this requirement under the law when you actually sue and try and get damages to mitigate your own damages. Like if you can't show that you tried to do something, anything, just reasonable steps to keep it from being as bad as it was, like whether it's a car accident or a slip and fall or, you know, a pandemic, then like you really hurt your own case. So, I mean, to me, it demonstrates that these are all political and they don't think any of them are going to work. Yeah. As we close out this conversation, let's come back to the politics of this for the long term. And I think listeners really need to to strap in here and get ready for what I think is going to be a nasty six months uh, plus of COVID politics. If you thought it was bad already, just wait to what comes next. Now, the good news is that there's so much to support both Biden's policy from a substantive perspective, 
like this is the right thing to do. Goldman Sachs, for instance, came out with a report that said that this this will likely lead to something like 12 million additionally vaccinated and, and help improve our economy. Uh, there are a ton of companies already who were moving in this direction or already were mandating vaccines. We talked about the NFL, but Disney, Tyson, McDonald's, Chevron, Citigroup, the business roundtable came out in support of this. So th there's there's a lot of reasons why, and I talked about like the, the sort of swing vote and enthusiasm and all of that. That's all good, but also the GOP is is incredibly skilled at whipping their base into a frenzy. That's one problem. I think another problem worth mentioning is that although there is a lot of vaccine hesitancy uh, concentrated among the far right, there are segments of the Democratic coalition that have a lot of vaccine hesitancy too. And I think we have to prepare ourselves for a lot of targeted political messaging to try to further the GOP's inroads into some communities that Democrats have been taking for granted. And, and I want to ensure that the, the Democratic Party is, is, is ready for this fight because it's going to be nasty. Can I say one last thing? And actually, two last things. One is, just a, so people don't forget, there was a really lovely kind of humane part of the vaccine mandate as well, which is that businesses have to give time off to people to get the vaccine, mm. and they have to give time off to people who may be experiencing some, like, adverse reactions, not adverse, but just, like, reactions to the vaccine on the next day or whatever. And I thought that was really kind of caring and considerate, so I just wanted to point that out and big up that part of the mandate. And then the other thing I wanted to say, which is, like, a, the like a reverse hot take founded on nothing from what Ravi just said, which is that I sort of wonder if all of this is just current posturing that they're like, all right, we know that everyone should get the vaccine, but just let, let's keep saying that this is heinous because we have to be against everything that Biden does. And let's just let these 12 million people get vaccinated. And then once they're vaccinated, the numbers will go down and maybe we could just stop talking about the pandemic altogether. Like, I think they want to just ride it out until it's not an issue anymore and act like it and act like they never even really had a position that was anti-vax. So that's my other weird thing. It's like you dig in your heels on a thing on a position you know is wrong just so you could get through it, get to the other side. I think you're right on both points. I think uh, as to the second point, it's important to remember what part of the calendar we're in, right? We're in the Republican primary part of the calendar, mm -hmm. right? So so they, they don't care. Most of the people making a lot of noise, like Kemp has a primary, you know, all, all these people, they're just like, hey, Republican voters are mad about vaccine, so I'm mad about the vaccine, right? And who knows what they'll sound like after primaries on this topic. Devil's advocate, though, on that, though, is that how much different are Republicans nowadays in their primaries from the general? There's so much about turning out the base at the expense of persuading voters. I, I think you're right, but I just think that, to Nagin's point, it's it's like we're going to be talking about a completely different part of COVID if we're talking about COVID at that yeah. point. So, there, so that's, I think, what it is. They're like, who knows what the heck it's, there's going to be to talk about by general election time. But right now, this is the way to, the, to, to win this primary. Uh, and to your first point, that's a, a great point that maybe when this comes up, what you say to people is, look before this order, before this happens, when you go get the vaccine, there's no guarantee that you can't be fired if like you need a day off after you get the vaccine. And President Biden has done, he's changed that. Like, so you could reframe the entire thing to your first point of, this is just making sure that employers can't fire you for getting the vaccine. 
Robbie, as of late, I've had to stay up very late at night and in not wanting to disturb Diana while I'm like making phone calls to Afghanistan, I'm using this little mattress on the floor and I'm super missing the Helix mattress. Like That's tragic, Jason. <laughs> it is. Well, I love Helix because everyone's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. And to find the perfect one for you, you just take a two minute quiz that'll match you to your dream mattress. And they have soft, medium, firm mattresses, plus mattresses that are great for cooling you down and you and i we took that helix quiz and because we're both side sleepers uh, who like a medium firm feel we were both matched with the midnight lux so just go to helixsleep.com majority 54 take their two minute sleep quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life they have a 10 year warranty and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free and they'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it helix is offering up to 200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com majority 54 I mean, honestly, if you've been listening to this pod for a long time and you don't have a Helix mattress and two free pillows, like, come on. That's helixsleep.com slash majority54 for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Ravi, I, I haven't been able to use uh, my Helix mattress, but I have been able to use a sleep meditation by Headspace. So you win some, you lose some. Yeah, I feel as I imagine you do and a lot of our listeners that we've now transitioned from the sort of relaxing month of August to now like the push and the rush of September and the fall. And I feel like everybody is starting to move fast and my schedule is as tight as it's ever been. And that just brings new stresses every day. That's why I'm really grateful for our sponsor Headspace because they give us that daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditation. And the app is so easy to use. And it's one of the only meditation apps advanced in the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. And so whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. And if you're overwhelmed, like I've been feeling a little bit lately, they have a three minute SOS meditation for you. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash m54. That's headspace.com slash m54 for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash m54 today. Let's talk about this week in misinformation. Long-time listeners know I'm obsessed with Facebook. Uh... There was an article in the Wall Street Journal, great investigative piece, which seems like it's going to be part of a longer series where uh, Wall Street Journal has been given access to some confidential documents from a whistleblower inside of Facebook. And this is the first of that series. And this article goes through a series of documents and internal accounts about the fact that Facebook has had a program. It was a system that exempted high-profile users from some or all of its rules, and it's a program called CrossCheck or XCheck, which was initially intended as a quality control measure for actions taken against uh, high-profile accounts, uh, including like celebrities, politicians, journalists. A lot of times that the people who were in this program didn't even know it. Like, for instance, Jason, you might even be in this program. You don't even know it because they, they're classifying people. I should I should maybe start using my Facebook. Yeah. To... <laughs> Take Apparently... advantage. Take advantage of your position. Yeah. You could, <laughs> you, well, it turns out, Jason, you could be as offensive as you want. Uh, yeah, that's because, what I mean. Because what was happening here yeah, is uh, they, were, they were calling it internally that people were whitelisted uh, and they're rendered immune from enforcement actions while others – you know, the common person. Well, uh, to be fair, of the three of us, I think probably that's the list that they put me on. Like, I mean, like... <laughs> the white like, list. <laughs> like, how... Can I just... I just want to point out, like, how fucked up is that? That, like, the special privilege list is the white list? 
Like that's weird. It is weird. <laughs> that's a little on the nose, is what I'm saying. Anyway, go ahead. We can we can have that sort of postmodern linguistic discussion another time about the way we use language to reinforce uh, bias. But this is pretty nasty, though, because what's happened here is that they've allowed people who are exempt. To, to do some pretty heinous things. A good example is, or a bad example, is um, Neymar, the Brazilian soccer s- star, was accused of rape and then used his platform on Facebook and Instagram to show pictures and messages from the accuser. He was able to, to post a nude photo of his accuser that stood up long enough for many, many millions of people to view this before it was taken down. And it was actually left up in part because he was part of this program. Other inflammatory claims have been allowed to make it through because of this program, including, as the Wall Street Journal talked about, claims that Hillary Clinton covered up a pedophile ring, misinformation on vaccines, and other claims that Donald Trump has made um, in calling refugees animals, et cetera. Is this just an, like, what do we, like, this seems like every week there's a problem with Facebook. Uh, I know that it's, it almost gets tedious at this point. What do, what do we do about this? You know, we're, we're, we all use this plat, their platforms, not all of us, but, you know, most people who are even critical of it use the platform. They seem to continue to make profit. They seem to continue to make a, to, to be a powerful company that continues to grow. What do we do? And lest we forget that Facebook also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. So if you think you're on, you know, on, you're posting your IG stories and you're you're doing the right thing because you're not on Facebook, you're still doing the wrong thing because you're on Facebook, as am I. Uh, and uh, but but as to the original Facebook. I, uh, I'm just surprised that anyone is using it who is not my one aunt who seems to be on there all the time. Um, so that's always surprising to me. But I, you know, it's what's also strange is that Republicans and Democrats both are frustrated with Facebook. And it, it seems like it would be a great moment of bipartisanship to like, let's get together and like regulate what these people are doing. You know, um, they're having an outsized impact on our politics or having outsized influence um, and, and, and uh, you know, and negativity on showing like like that photo you just mentioned of a, a of an accuser, um, a nude photo of an accuser of a famous, I mean, soccer star. Like that's heinous, you know. Um, so I feel like this could be a moment for that. I don't know. Is there just no political will? Does it not? Is it that we're in the middle of a pandemic still? So it's not rising to the the level of urgency. I mean, what what does it take to get some? to get some action on that on a policy front. I, I think to me what's frustrating about it and the lack of, of bipartisanship when it appears that there would be is like, it's like a lot of issues where it seems to me that the left is interested in regulating Facebook and the large social media platforms, basically because the left believes that there's a role for government regulation of really outsized corporate uh, entities, period, you know, and including in, in the case of something like, like, Facebook where it has a large platform. And then the right is interested, it seems to me, in threatening regulation in order to intimidate Facebook in order, and, and, and I think in order to shape the content that's allowed, but possibly is interested in actually regulating. But again, I think in order to sort of censor the content. And so to me, it makes it hard to, to see how it, you know, what it reminds me of is like, 
like this these attempts at like compromises on voting rights right where it's like well okay we both seem to agree that there needs to be some changes to the voting system and then you scratch the surface and you go oh no no we want to change the voting system and and they want to make sure that fewer people of color vote so it's like we have different aims but we're making the same sounds <laughs> right yeah i, I i'm with you like i We've talked about this before. Like, I don't fully trust where the Josh Hollies of the world are coming from on this. So I I do understand a certain sense why it's been hard for the two sides to come together to regulate. Uh, I also wonder whether, how much different would this be if, if Facebook didn't own Instagram and WhatsApp, right? Like if we, we, if we had the, the, the power to go to all, more alternatives um, and hold them accountable, whereas right now, if you were to, to to pursue an alternative, really the only the only two alternatives that are out there to Facebook uh, are TikTok, which like Lord knows the problems with the ownership of that company and the ethical choices that we make there. And also it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. Or Twitter, which I, I honestly trust the, the leadership of Twitter. They've been better on a, a host of these issues than Facebook, but it has its own toxic culture. So it, it doesn't really, it just seems like they're approaching a monopoly here. It's like really hard to avoid using Facebook if you want to stay in touch with your family members on social media. And that seem, that feels to me like it, it approaches a monopoly that's worthy of breaking up. I, I, to me, what it all comes back to is what we've talked about on the show before, that there's a reason that we have antitrust laws, right? Like, and, and I think the fallacy or the mistake that we repeatedly make is we think about the current situation with leadership of a given company, right? Like if you look at Google and you look at the way the leadership of Google has evolved from uh, the motto of don't be evil to like, we're going to figure this out with the Chinese government. Like we, we, we're going to, you know, we're all going to work together. And then you look at uh, Amazon, right? Where people are like, okay, well, we got a lot of questions and a lot of issues with Bezos. And, and like, let's be honest. Meanwhile, during the pandemic, everybody's got Amazon boxes stacked up on their on their porch my point is like twitter and jack dorsey missourian good now right it seems to be pretty responsible as as these things go from a relative sense now but like what if facebook acquires twitter what if and so the I, to back to your earlier point like yeah i don't think amazon should be this big for like a whole host of reasons and i don't think facebook should have been able to acquire instagram and like we have these antitrust laws we don't use them because we go, oh, well, somebody's being responsible for the moment. Yeah, but like, what happens when they get a new leadership? And it's also, there's also a, a cultural component to all of this that, you know, like there's a point in our history where we may have said something like, there's no alternative to MySpace, you know? Right, like people right. went around saying that and there obviously were alternatives to MySpace and just the cultural moment moved away from MySpace. And I feel like the cultural moment is shifting away from Facebook. You know, when that initial delete Facebook thing came around, um, a bunch of my friends just did it. They just deleted Facebook. I mean, Facebook for some quarters of the American population is just like a non-entity, you know? I wonder if cultural pressure on just regular people can force it to become less used, less popular. Can we get the ants of America to use another platform? You know what I mean? Um, I'm looking at you to my ant. But, but Nagin, to your point, like the cultural shift is really a generational shift, 
which is why it's dangerous that Facebook acquires Instagram. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. And, and, and so, you know, because then you have the same leadership potentially making the same decisions. Yeah. The question I'm often wondering is like, what has Facebook innovated on since the core idea that Zuckerberg potentially took from somebody else right at the beginning? Like what, what really have they done? You know, they were able to, and like, I don't want to like sidestep the fact that it definitely took some vision and insight and talent to, to grow that company in the beginning. And when they did acquire Instagram, a lot of people thought they overpaid for it and it was crazy and all that. But, you know, monop like our anti-monopoly laws aren't just about like the question of what happened at the point of acquisition, but what happened subsequent to that. And it's really hard to avoid these platforms if you want to communicate with your relatives, your friends, or you want to grow your business, et cetera. And objectively, as they have been under more and more scrutiny publicly and paid more and more fines, their revenues have grown well beyond the point where these fines even make a difference to them, to the point now where they're worth over a trillion dollars. They continue to grow as a company. And so they, they seem immune to consequences unless the consequence is you no longer exist in the form that you're in. Like there's almost no fine or other consequence that they would even take seriously at this point, which is why they have armies of lobbyists in D.C. fighting every potential regulation against them, you know? I just don't understand how we had a big lawsuit to say Microsoft is not allowed to sell Windows with Netscape already in it, but Facebook can buy everything else. Like, I mean, it's just like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. We're just not, we're just not, we have laws in place. Like you're saying, we have laws in place and we're just not, it's sort of like how we, we do have taxes in place for wealthy people. They somehow are able to skirt them, right? We just don't collect. So this is, I think, another one of those examples of like, we have antitrust laws. Uh, where, why aren't we uh, enforcing them? Well, let's talk about another fun subject. Uh, let's bring it back to Tucker Carlson. Uh, <laughs> I so Tucker Carlson has been using his platform, his show, to you know basically encourage the forging of vaccine cards. Buying a fake vaccination card is not a quote serious crime. It's not even close to a serious crime. Buying a fake vaccination card is an act of desperation by decent, law-abiding Americans who have been forced into a corner by tyrants. I just wanted to bring this to the two of you because this is, you know, Fox News, Tucker Carlson, this is the law and order crowd. And I I know this isn't the first or and it won't be the last instance of hypocrisy here. But, you know, is this notable that we have uh, the, the, the people who get up in arms over, you know, they play every clip of like, you know, somebody going into a Dwayne Reed in San Francisco and stealing goods and walking out or whatever and that they, they they make those viral flashpoints at the same time are encouraging people to break the law and lie about the fact that they are more likely to transmit a deadly disease i mean like am i wrong to be a little appalled by this a lot appalled. it's also it's totally appalling but it's also weird it's like are are you proud of your position of not having a vaccine or are you not proud like but if, he is vaccinated he's vaccinated but yeah. in terms of like what he's saying to his is his listeners it's like i thought the whole point was that they're proud that they're not part of it is that they're proud that they're not vaccine they're proud that they're upholding their whatever it is about the vaccine that they're against i mean so it's like then telling them but then lie to everybody and 
pretend like you are vaccine. It's like, well, no, do you believe in the, your convictions or do you not? I don't understand. And, you know, and, and, and are you the party of like strengthen your convictions, which I feel like they often talk about, um, or are you not? It's like, it's weird to tell people to lie about a, a deeply held belief. Yeah, I, I totally agree. That's what confused me about it is it was like, do you, you don't understand civil disobedience. Like this, is, you know, I mean, this is this is like if instead of, uh, you know, refuse to sign up for the draft during the Vietnam War, it was like, pretend you already did a tour in Vietnam. Right, like, I mean, right, right, right. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't sense. make any sense. It really doesn't. They need to read uh, Henry David Thoreau just one more time. <laughs> As, yeah, as we they've all, all read have. it once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just another time. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm curious what else Tucker Carlson thinks is appropriate to do out of desperation. So if you're a parent, for instance, who lies about your address to send your kid to the, the fancy suburban school uh, in the district next to where you live, is that acceptable? Uh, if you're somebody who doesn't have money uh, and you go into... Uh, a local grocery store and steal groceries is, is that acceptable too um i mean I, i'll welcome him to that resistance you know yeah, like, like welcome crossing crossing the border yeah <laughs> you know? right 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 I it's mean, a slippery slope tucker carlson you know uh, watch out what you're what you're suggesting well jason I try to eat right, and so generally speaking, I avoid sweets. But our sponsor, Super Beats Heart Chews, has given me permission to bring sweets back into my life, and they have these tasty plant-based heart chews uh, that I've added to my morning routine, and they promote heart-healthy energy for our day, all without the caffeine. These things taste so awesome, and they're good for you. And I'm so obsessed with them that I have to sometimes hide them for myself because I eat so many of them and run out too fast. Superbeats Heart Chews are unique, clinically researched grapeseed extract chews that promote heart-healthy energy and normal blood pressure as part of a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, and, and I also, not a fan of beets usually, but these don't taste like beets. They're made from beets, don't taste like beets. So they're, they're really, really good. You can join over 1 million customers and get free shipping, free returns, a 90-day money-back guarantee, and 30% off your first order right now at superbeats.com slash 5-4, and that's beets, B-E-E-T. So that's superbeats.com slash five four for thirty percent off your first order. Superbeats.com slash five four. Ravi, I know we were both very excited when our friends at Athletic Greens finally gave us the opportunity to rep our athletic greens. I opened it up and saw the green athletic green sweatshirt. And frankly, it is not sweatshirt weather in Kansas City, but that didn't stop me. But we love them not because they're a great apparel company, but because Athletic Greens is the only product I've ever found out there that gives you enough vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients uh, to help you recover from an active lifestyle, but also keep your energy up throughout the day, especially as you, you get up there in your years like you and I are. One of the things I really like about it is is that if there's something you want to add to it, it has a good taste and it can cover the other taste. So like, for instance, not to sound like a total like workout, you know, meathead, but like Ravi gave me a really good recommendation for another working out supplement. I combined it with my Athletic Greens and now I'm doing that in the morning too. So visit athleticgreens.com slash majority and join health experts, athletes, and health conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash majority and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today.
we have this segment we we used to call Quarantine Corner, which I think we may call Quarantine Corner again soon if, if these trends continue, but we've been calling it Aren't We Relatable Corner, and essentially it's just our way to talk about something in our lives outside of politics uh, and just bring it to the table. Uh, Jason, I hesitate to ask you about your, your baseball goods, but... I, I do want to hear about this uh, if you're if if you're up yeah. for talking about it. Uh, you know, True and I went to go. I, I coached True's little league team, and we geared. You know, we we got everything ready to go to his little league game last night. And uh, I, it's partially my fault. I didn't lock the. I have a cover on my on the bed of my truck, but I didn't lock the tailgate. I forgot, and I went to open the tailgate, and somebody stole all our little league equipment, including, <gasps> uh, I mean, like pitching machine, generator, all sorts of stuff. But also like priceless things like True's glove and also the glove that I've had since I was eight years old that my dad gave me. And so it was it's very upsetting. And so True and I were both sad about it. And we decided, well, we're just going to go to the game and we'll be sad afterwards. And we, we picked up a used glove at a store on the way for him and he played well with it and it was fine. But we get in the car and he goes and he had a good game. But we get in the car uh, in the truck to go home and he goes, Dad, can we be sad about it now? And Aww. I was like. Yeah, we can. And I and I am I mean, this sounds so ridiculous. I am going through a mourning process of that glove that I had for 32 years. I mean, that was like if you had asked me like if there was a house fire after you got your family out, are there any things you would go back in to get? And it was it would be like my mine and my kids gloves. I would. Oh, that's anyway. really sad. Yeah, it is. So, bummer. But anyway, Nagin, what do you got? Okay, I'm. this is maybe more of like a plea to listeners, which is like I read this book called Fleischman is in Trouble by Taffy Brodeser-Ackner last summer. And I think it was like a bigger book last summer. Um, and I had such a fun time reading it. It was like one of those books that's like, it's literary fiction, but it's still like turn your brain off and just think about this one guy and how he's getting a divorce. Like it was like kind of a book about nothing that was political, nothing that's, you know what I mean? It was just a fun book to read. He goes on some internet dates, you know what I mean? It's like, whatever, <laughs> but it was well-written, well-received, whatever. And I've just been chasing the high of a book like that uh, for just to like tune out. I, I have a toddler. Um, so in the 30 minutes a week that I get to tune out <laughs> when I am not on toddler suicide watch, um, I <laughs> like to be able to like read something that makes me feel kind of like nothing. (laughs) So I'm looking for recommendations um, for that. If anyone has any, I am so all ears. Hit me up on all of the social medias that we shouldn't be looking at. Can I ask about the term toddler suicide watch? Yeah. Because does does that because that that's funny either way. Because that is either <laughs> I have a toddler, so I'm on suicide watch, or and I think this is what you mean, <laughs> I have a toddler, which means I have a child who doesn't really understand that now that they're mobile, they there's things all over the house oh that they can kill themselves that's, with. I mean, I no, that number two is mostly where I was coming from with yeah. with like with a, the dash of number one, but <laughs> uh, yeah, she this lady will just climb whatever. You know what I mean? She'll grab like knives that you're like, I put this on top of the refrigerator. How did you grab this <laughs> knife? You know what I mean? Like just, I don't even know how or where. And I just felt like during the pandemic, having one, having her as a child felt like having five children. She somehow took the space of, of five children. Um, and so it's a tough time. 
<laughs> that yeah. said, I she's the best thing I've ever done, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's true, but you got to, yeah, you got to do that. But also, come on, what are you doing <laughs> yeah. in my life? <laughs> well, it's hard to top that. Uh, I'm just going to give an update to my last week uh, share, which is I shared this, that I've been falling in love with this uh, Formula One show on Netflix. And I've gotten so much feedback from the audience. It seems like a lot of our audience loves this show. Uh, and I've been thinking about it since. And I almost feel guilty about it because, of course, as a as like a, a, a Democrat, instead of like liking NASCAR, <laughs> I uh, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna like say I, I'm gonna like fall in love with race car driving, but not the kind of race car driving that's gonna like actually put me shoulder to shoulder with the kind of people that we talk about in this show, right? Like I'm not. I'm not actually going to embrace the American race car driving, which is overwhelmingly a conservative audience. I'm going to go to Europe and like fall in love with this elite, like Ben's Ferrari show. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing some reflecting and I'm going to try to figure out NASCAR too. And like, Hey, like it seems very similar and you know, takes place mostly in this country. So uh, nobody's given me this feedback. I just have been thinking about it. It just made me laugh that I'm like, of course, like I've just skipped NASCAR and gone right to, to Formula One. Uh, well, a, a, so, an ex-boyfriend of mine, I once conflated Formula One with NASCAR, knowing nothing about either of them, and he lost his mind. Like, that Formula One has nothing to do with NASCAR. And I was like, but does it really not have just, anything yeah. to do? Isn't it both car racing? I'm going to report back. I don't Jason may know the answer to this. I don't know enough yet. To, to answer that question, but I'm going to report back to the audience. I, I know enough to be dangerous. And basically, basically, <laughs> basically what it comes down to is, is that, as you pointed out in the show last week, <clears throat> Formula One is much more about a team and engineering a, a car. The driver obviously is a factor, but engineering a car to, uh, to optimize it in such a way that you can beat the other cars. NASCAR has rules in order to make it so that no car can have too much of a competitive advantage over another. So it mu it puts a much greater emphasis on mm. the, the skill of the driver, basically. I can't say I'm a NASCAR fan. I would say I'm NASCAR conversationally proficient. And, and so my suggestion is to start with the movie Days of Thunder. It's a Tom Cruise movie. It's just basically what if in Top Gun, instead of flying an airplane, he they drove were in a car. Cars, and, right. uh, but it's a good, it's a good because actually the, the premise of the movie, which most people won't, won't remember, is that he actually comes from, I believe, Formula One. And it kind of starts with, they're like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I got tired of beat, getting beat by a better car because I'm a good driver. Like that's kind of how the movie starts. So enjoy. I also just want to make a pitch for forget cars in general because they're uh, climate changing monsters and instead look at bicycle races. There's my pitch. There you go. Yeah, you know, yeah. like or sprinting. Yeah, um. nice jo jo jogging races. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then, then we'll have, we have the performance enhancing problem there too. There's just nothing clean out there. Just <laughs> maybe just go for a walk and talk to your friends. Like, forget <laughs> about any is. of this there stuff. There it is. There it is. So, Nagin, we have a segment called Grab an Ore, uh, where we invite the guests to tell us about a cause that they just like to promote. It can be something you're involved in. Uh, it doesn't have to be. Go for it. 
You know, it's interesting because I was thinking about this, uh, you know, I'm involved with a lot of different organizations, but the one that I kind of have been thinking about a lot recently um, is the City Parks Foundation in New York City. Um, It's basically, uh, I'll just read from its mission statement, dedicated to invigorating and transforming parks into dynamic, vibrant centers of urban life through sports, arts, and community building um, and educational programs. The reason I've been thinking about it so much is just the sheer amount of enjoyment I get from City Parks Foundation programming every year. It's the kind of thing that sort of levels the playing field. Poor people can enjoy it. Rich people can enjoy it. Everyone goes to the parks. Everyone in New York City enjoys stuff like Summer Stage. Um, Kids have a bunch of programs. You know, now that I have this toddler, I'm at parks all the time. I'm looking at programming. I'm looking at movie nights in parks. Um, And so... Uh, it's so specifically I want to promote city parks foundation, but more generally wherever you live, like support that park parks are so vital. I think to our communities, um, they're just so I think central to community reinvigoration and civic mindedness. And I love them so much. So, uh, support your local parks. I love that. That's a great one. Forgive me. Usually when we have a guest, we just do their grammar. I am going to add one uh, this week. People uh, who have been following the the show recently uh, or my social media know that I'm working really hard to get some of my friends out of Afghanistan. I'm working with some uh, battle buddies to do that. And, you know, I can't really talk about the logistics of any of that, but, uh, you know, it is moving along. There are things happening. In the meantime, uh, this week, I put up a GoFundMe. It's a partnership that I'm doing with uh, Jewish Vocational Services of Kansas City, which is actually the refugee resettlement agency that resettled my wife, Diana, and her family when she was eight years old when they escaped the Soviet Union. And they work with uh, all sorts of refugees. And so I'm working with them. And we have a GoFundMe that has has raised, as I say, as I say this right now, very close to $200,000. And this is to pay for uh, everything after evacuation, like all the process of getting these folks, uh, there's a few dozen of them to the United States, uh, making sure that on the way that they don't, you know, starve, and making sure that legal fees and that sort of thing are handled. Right now, we're working completely with pro bono attorneys, but but there will be fees. So anyway, it's you can go to uh, my Twitter. It's it's all through my timeline. And uh, it's it's really valuable. So. Oh, my God, Jason. Speaking as an Iranian-American Muslim who has a ton of refugees in my own family who, who escaped Iran during the Iran-Iraq War, I love the pants out of that recommendation. So thank you. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, this is just, you know, we a lot of us just feel like we it was right to leave, but it doesn't change the fact that we left people there who should be here. So, all right, with that... Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Reminder to everybody, our voicemail is 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. Feel free to leave us a voicemail that we can address. As far as social media goes, you can find me. I'm at Jason Cantor on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram. The show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Nagin, where do they find you? Oh, my gosh. You can listen to subscribe to my podcast, Fake the Nation. Um, it's a headgum podcast available wherever you do that. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram and all of the evil social medias um, at Nagin Farsad, N-E-G-I-N-F-A-R-S-A-D. Awesome. Nagin, this was really fun. Thank you for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, guys. All right. Everybody, remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman. And special thanks to Diana Kander. I want to tell you about another podcast that you'll like. 
Some of My Best Friends Are, which explores the absurdities and intricacies of race in America. And it's hosted by Khalil Muhammad and my friend Ben Austin, who are two best friends who grew up together on the south side of Chicago in the 80s. And they explore how race has affected their friendship and their work. And they use pop culture and history to guide listeners in identifying their own experiences of racism. Mixing anecdotes, entertaining storytelling, and thoughtful debate, the show helps listeners make sense of a deeply divided country. So check out Some of My Best Friends Are, wherever you're listening now. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.